Welcome to this episode of Parallel Times. Today I'll be interviewing Brianna Bernson. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly, Brianna? You are. It's Brianne. It's a Brianne. Hard, hard okay. Yeah. Brianne. I don't think I've known a Brianne before. So I'll be interviewing Brianne Bernson, who's the founder of Plum Fabulous Foods, which is a micro farm on a homestead in Plum, Texas. And at Plum Fabulous Foods, they grow 3,000 pounds of food a year on a tenth of an acre. It's actually a little less than a tenth of an acre, isn't it? Yes. And uh, Brienne also homeschools her six children while she's doing all of this. So welcome, Brienne, and thank you so yeah. much for being with us today. I'm really thank excited you. to chat with you. So I met Brienne when she presented at John and Rebecca Bush's Exit and Build Land Conference in Bastrop, Texas in May of 2023. And Brianne, I really wanted to talk to you because this is what so many people are feeling that they need to do or want to do, what you and your husband have done. Um, and so they can learn from your experience because you've been doing this for, I understand, about 15 years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, Brianne started this process in 2009. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Okay, to... great. Oh, probably, probably 2007, actually. 2007. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then she's learned through trial and error, and she's poured a lot of what she knows into this book, which I purchased at, let's see, make sure that you can see it, um, which I purchased at the Exit and Build Land seminar, uh, which is called the Plum Fabulous Guide to Gardening, which is just amazing. It's like she's she's giving you those 15 years of experience so that we don't all have to learn as much by trial and error as she did. So it's quite um, gracious of her actually to hand over <laughs> that much information. And in this book, she she share, shares generously to expedite everyone's learning curve. And we're going to be talking today about Brianne's experiences and some tips for others who want to grow bountiful, healthy food. And Brianne, will you say and spell your website for us, for the folks who are just listening to an audio tape? Sure. It's uh, www.plumfabulousfoods, so plum, P-L-U-M. Fabulous, F-A-B-U-L-O-U-S, and foods, F-O-O-D-S, dot com. Great. And uh, you can find all kinds of articles on there, a link to our YouTube. Yeah, I was impressed that you have so much free information, education. Mm -hmm. um, you have that whole series on preserving and fermenting, and it's all free. So I definitely encourage people to go and look at what's on the website because it's a great it's a great resource and you can also buy the book there correct is that right you Brian? can't uh so we're we're um we're very small scale and if you go to the contact me page on the website and just shoot me a message then we we take care of uh handling the book we still snail mail them and uh we accept payment online and so we take care of it through there Great. Thank you. And I, I think you mentioned something about wanting to publish through a publisher, but I have to say I love this <laughs> format because the the spiral bound makes it easy. Like if you wanted to have this in yeah. your garden. And actually and it's it's all printed on a laser jet so that if the pages get wet, if you have it in the garden and the pages get wet, they're not gonna run. And so oh, that's wow. a it's an extra cost to the to the printing. We do all the printing and binding ourselves. My printing crew is uh six and eleven and fourteen. And they do a great <laughs> job. And so yeah. And um throughout this interview as well, I'm gonna be dropping in some photos from Brienne's book as well as some other images that she just provided to me. So that'll be a little eye candy. So you know what we're talking about as we go. So I'm going to jump in. Okay. So I understand you can grow year round where you live in Texas, which is yeah. uncommon in many parts of the US. Yeah. But fall is typically an important harvest season. I imagine that's true for you too, even though you grow year round. So uh -huh. Can you tell us a little bit about what you and your family grew this year and what you're most excited about in terms of your results and your yield? Sure. So uh, we do harvest year round. Um, you, you asked earlier, like what we're harvesting right now. I can tell you I picked over 100 pounds of squash in the last two weeks. 
So there's a lot of things. We just had our first little micro freeze. And so we lost a lot of our, um, we have a, we have two summer plantings and two fall plantings really. And so we lost a lot of our spring stuff, but uh, just real quick, I'm going to read the list of the 33 different crops we grow a year, year round here. So bush beans, beets, broccoli, bok choy, cabbage, cauliflower, carrots, corn, cucumber, cantaloupe, eggplant, all kinds of herbs, garlic, leeks, kale, kohlrabi, onions, okra, peas, lettuce, peanuts, peppers, potatoes, radishes, sweet potatoes, summer squash, strawberries, Swiss chard, tomatoes, turnips, watermelon, winter squash, and spinach. And that is uh, in addition to any of the fruit trees that we have. And then we also raise 150 meat birds a year. And we have about 30 laying hens uh, that we wow. have year round as well. So um, I, I always try to encourage people in the idea of food resiliency. You don't have to be the person that does everything, but you have to pick a couple key areas and then know people that do. And so mm -hmm. we don't do bees and we don't do cows, but I know lots of people that do. And so it's really easy to barter with them because uh, not, not very many people do the vegetables mm. and um, chickens are also something that not a whole lot of people do. So mm. in, in Texas, everybody has cows. So it's really easy to find somebody that's raising beef and, and trade with them. That's really interesting about mm -hmm. what's common down there and what's not as common down there. Yeah. Um, but that Some seems people, like that's you, that's real. I want to underscore these key points for people as yeah. you mention them because they they drop like gold, you know, yeah. these key takeaways. And so yeah. that idea that you don't have to do everything right. mm -hmm. could reduce some of the overwhelm yes. and the idea yes. that you want to find a mm -hmm. niche that's really needed in your area so that you can barter. Those are both so helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And it's always easier to do something that you're passionate about. And so I'm really passionate about vegetables. We eat a mostly vegetarian diet with meat added. I, I say we're like meat eating vegetarians. Hmm. And, uh, and it's because vegetables are the most, um, the, the easiest to produce year round with, with as few outside inputs. If hmm. I could grow my own corn feed, I mean, a uh, chicken feed, which maybe I could if I really tried. I've tried and I haven't been successful. But if I could do that, then maybe I wouldn't focus so much on the vegetables. I would just do chickens. But really, vegetables is the easiest thing to learn how to do. Uh, and it produces year out and you get such a variety. I mean, I couldn't just, we couldn't just live on chickens, you know, if we couldn't find somebody to barter with. And so I love the diversity of the, the fruits and vegetables. That's wonderful and great, um, great tip. And I like that uh, idea of being vegetarians that eat some meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seems very practical. So I love the story in your book about how and why you started growing food. So can yeah. you give us sort of the nutshell version of that story so that yes. I'm sure people can relate? Yeah. So one of the things I always try to uh, convince people is that they don't have to grow up gardening because so mm. many things you feel like you have to have this background knowledge in it and you really don't with gardening. Um, we decided to be a stay-at-home, I was going to be a stay-at-home mom and start raising our children and homeschooling them. So we went from two incomes to one income overnight. And in that process, I was looking for ways to reduce our grocery bill. And at the same time, we live in a very small rural Texas town that didn't have a whole lot of uh, organic offerings at the grocery store. And I wanted to make all of our own baby food. And so I, I went to the library and I got a book. And uh, unfortunately, I got a great book to get me started in gardening. It was organic-based methods. It's called the Vegetable Gardener's Bible. And mm -hmm. we started with two little beds in our uh, city backyard. And I started just raising vegetables in those two little beds. And I, I just had no idea how much I was going to love it. Like, mm -hmm. there's no better feeling. I really feel like we were created <laughs> to grow our own food. Because I don't think there's many things in life that will bring you as much joy as producing your own food. Hmm. It's, it's just, it's hard to explain until you've had the opportunity to do it. And I, I had no idea I would enjoy it so much. And um, we started having more children and we knew we were gonna have to move to the country. And when we did, the first thing we did was build a bigger garden. Hmm. And uh, so I didn't have any background in it. Everything I've learned, I've learned from reading books and just applying it. I, I am a student of gardening. And so I'm always keeping notes and looking for ways to improve it, but it's all trial and error, a hundred percent. Okay. That's great. And that's kind of a lead in. I, I, I saw 
a theme in your book, if you will, <laughs> which was about soil, like yeah. all the the iterations and the evolution mm -hmm. of how you have created, accessed, purchased, um, you know, transformed mm -hmm. soil. So can you tell us, I mean, and maybe this sounds like the obvious, but I think it's it bears repeating. I've heard people say that the the earth biome is like like the human biome our gut mm -hmm. is like the earth biome is the soil mm -hmm. and so can you tell us a little bit about the importance of having good soil to being successful as a gardener or farmer and also what good soil is sure i'll i'll try to keep it uh, a simple answer but um it, you say it may seem obvious, but I don't think it is. I don't hmm. think it is enough to people that it is so obvious. Um, like I said, I was very lucky to get started in an organic approach. So it was a no-till approach. And uh, it was all about building good soil from the beginning. And after we, when we moved here to Plum, I read another book, the, uh, the New Square Foot Gardening Book by Mel Bartholomew. And he, in it, he had this theory that he wanted to develop a system that he could bring anywhere in the world like Africa or India or someplace that had these terrible soil conditions and have a successful garden. And uh, unbeknownst to me, when we moved to Plum, we moved to an area that had terrible soil. It is thick black gumbo clay. Mm. It's so hard that uh, when we had our fiber line put in, uh, the ditch digger couldn't dig through the, the clay. It was too hard. Wow. It's and like so, our, our caliche in yes. New Mexico. Yeah. And so uh, it just, just hearing that idea of building a system that could could be used anywhere was so appealing to me. And so uh, we started, we, we've never tilled ever since we've been here, because in reading the Vegetable Gardeners Bible, I understood that there was this world going on underneath the soil, even though I didn't understand much about it. And so we always knew to go up and to build healthy soil above the ground. And so everybody knows there's there's all sorts of, of methods and theories out there in gardening. And so gardening has been around for a really long time, right? Mm -hmm. Like a long time. And you would think in all those years that we would have this best practices system identified. And we really don't. We mm -hmm. really have all these various things that people can do. And, uh, you know, one of the, the trends now is to have like the hydroponics or the, the, the grow light systems and the things that you are growing plants where you, uh, you just have the light and you have the water and then you're adding chemicals and nutrients into it. So, plants obviously need water and sunlight, okay? So what is it that they're getting from the soil that's so important? And what they're getting is all these micronutrients. So um, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, all these micronutrients and minerals that the plants need to grow. And if you grow something on a, on a piece of land, those plants are gonna take all those uh, micronutrients and minerals out of the soil. And you have to be able to put it back in the soil in order for it to produce a crop the next year. Because the next mm -hmm. plants you put on that soil are gonna have to take up these nutrients. Well, how do you put that back? In conventional agriculture, you use chemical fertilizers because they're cheap and easy to produce. And obviously in the organic world, we don't wanna do that. So what do we have to do? We put compost on the soil. It's mm -hmm. all about compost. And what is compost? Compost is is plants and animals that have broken down. And when they break down, what you're left with are those micronutrients and minerals that your plants are gonna need to grow again, okay? All, all the nutrients we have in the world right now is, is the same we started with thousands thousands of years ago. You know, it's not like the world's creating new nutrients and stuff. We have a set, a limited amount. And so you're constantly recycling them. And so when you take plants out of your garden, when you take grass clippings and leaves and mulch and all those things, and you put it together in a compost bin and it breaks down and it makes compost, you take that and you put it back into your soil and that's what grows healthy plants. And so it's all about the soil. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I know you could probably do like a whole 20 hour course just on soil with what your experiences have been. So yeah. thank you for uh, attempting to consolidate that a little bit for us. And so that, that first garden that you had back in 
2007, 2009. Mm -hmm. um, that was based on the New Square Foot Gardener, that book you just mentioned by mm -hmm. Mel Bartholomew, I believe. And that soil, it looks like you started with a third compost, a third mm -hmm. vermiculite, and a third topsoil. And it, if peat, I believe, peat moss, peat moss, peat moss. Uh, okay, vermiculite and, and compost, peat, peat moss, vermiculite, mm -hmm. and compost. Yes, okay, and you um, purchased those items, correct? I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so how many beds did you have for that first garden? You know, like how much? What was the yeah. square footage at first? And is the, do you have a rough sense of what the cost of that was for that approach? We do, yeah. <clears throat> so I've always kept really good notes through all my gardening, just like I said, I'm a student of gardening. And so when we started that, that first garden, we had four beds and it cost over $700 to build these four beds. They were each about four foot by eight foot. And then we had, we had two beds that were four by eight and two beds that were four by 16. So four by 12 on average. And mm -hmm. it cost over $750 to fill those four beds. Okay. Yeah. And so it, a lot and of that was the soil cost then. Oh, a huge part of it. And then at that okay. time also, we were building the frames on the beds. And so when mm -hmm. we did a raised bed, we had the, the wooden frames around it as well. So that was quite a bit of an added cost. Yeah. Great. And so what were the benefits and the challenges of that approach? Because I know a lot of people talk about doing raised beds and it's mm -hmm. interesting to me that you started with that and then you've gone mm -hmm. away from that so yeah pros and cons curious sure so some of the pros are that you can plant in it right away like that day mm -hmm. another pro is that you can go buy all the components and for some people that's a blessing so they mm -hmm. they want to be able to go to the store and buy all this stuff instead of um waiting to create it themselves um some of the cons it's it, it was very light and so because of the vermiculite and the peat moss, uh, it was a very light soil. And I feel like we lost some of it due to wind erosion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we get these great big cracks in our clay soil. And I swear some of it's like gone away into these cracks. And it's really funny because they always say that you can amend soils. If you're there long enough and you put all this organic matter onto your uh, soil that you can amend it. And, and that has not been true in my case, because mm. if you dig down six inches, in our garden, you hit solid clay and it has okay. not changed at all in the 12 years that we've been gardening here uh, in Plum. So um, okay, I really so am a firm believer in going up. No matter where you're at, just build up with good soil. Mm -hmm. So um, so it sounds like some of the, that's interesting that you invested all this money in it and then you felt like you lost some of your precious soil yeah. because it blew away. Mm -hmm. If you live somewhere like, like in Albuquerque where I live or anywhere in this area, we have these huge winds in yeah. the spring. And so mm -hmm. you could literally like watch all that money blow mm -hmm. up. <laughs> yeah. So you wouldn't want to do that. Okay. So good to know. And then what was your harvest like with that soil, with that system, terms of quantity and quality? Uh, it was beautiful soil. It really did produce great plants. And so the compost is what's feeding the plants. Mm -hmm. The peat moss and the vermiculite, their function is just to retain water. Okay, and so both of it, them. Uh -huh. to know. And so it was a soil that, that um, st it had a consistent moisture content. Um, it really did grow great stuff. I don't have, I mean, I could go through my books and tell you the exact amount that we were growing at that time. But uh it's comparable to what we're doing now. Okay. And what, what we have discovered now is that we get, uh, if you take overall garden square footage, so if mm. you had a garden that was 30 by 50, if you take that overall square footage mm -hmm. and multiply it, so you'd have 1,500 square feet, mm -hmm. then you'll get about 1,500 pounds of vegetables a year oh, wow. following That's... our methods and planted intentionally. Okay, so it's about a pound per square foot. That's correct. But in that calculation, you're taking into account not just where you're planting, but your walkways as well. Right. And so it's not exactly a one to one. It's not exactly a one pound per square foot so much. It's actually more like two pounds per square foot because half oh, okay. your garden is going to be walkways. Can't figure out the Okay. Mm -hmm. So but it, um, it's, in, it's important to, to know those statistics because when I consult with people, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're starting with a blank slate and they want to get started in the I, I have worked with people all the time also on um, they've already built a garden and I come in and try to help them mm -hmm. make it more manageable and they've always overbuilt it. And 
I, one of the things I'm very passionate about is building a garden that fits your needs mm-hmm. because having enough is a blessing, but having too much is a burden as well because mm-hmm. you feel this need to do something with it. I don't grow all this food out here so I can feed it to my chickens if I have too much. It's very intentional. Everything we do is very intentional. And so if, if we're consulting with a family of four, then you have to look at like what the average person eats per pound of vegetables per year, which is about uh, two to 400 pounds. And then you do the math and that's the size of garden that you built because okay, you want to so- keep it small enough that you can manage it. So I want to anchor these points because they seem like more like golden or whatever pearls of wisdom (laughs) that you want to start with the number of people that you have. Correct. And you said people typically, this is an adult, I would guess, eats, did you say 400 to 800 pounds? Two to to 400 pounds. Two to 400 per person. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that would be um, maximum 400 square feet including the walkways per person. That's right. So if you had a family of four and you Mm -hmm. use, let's say we use the average of 300 pounds per person, maybe you have two Mm -hmm. adults and two children or something, then you would have to build a garden that was 1200 square feet to feed them for the entire year. And so that's a 30 by 40 garden. Okay. So this is really important to know. And of course, people in the beginning might not be getting that yield, but once you get going along. And then also the other thing I, I, you said that I think is so important is um, the importance of having sufficient pathways. So I want to move on down to your next garden, because I think that one was the one where you started to build in bigger pathways. Is that right? The the second garden that you had that was based on the documentary or the, the teachings in the documentary Back to Eden by Paul Gauchy. Gauchy, uh-huh. Gauchy is that how you say him? That's his correct. name? Uh-huh. Okay. And so that garden, you started using more mulch, right? Correct. To retain yeah. the soil and the water in the, uh, in the garden. Uh-huh. And so can you tell us about that one? Because that, that was like your next big iteration. Yeah. And so when we moved from town to plum, we went from two beds to four beds. And then the next year we went from four beds to, to eight beds. And then we went from eight to 16. And mm-hmm. when, when we were getting to ready to go from that eight to 16, uh, and, and we weren't building separate gardens, we were expanding our current garden. Because when we got to our property, we, uh, my husband and I are both land surveyors. And so we map everything. We designed our garden in a way that we could start in one part of the art and expand in the future. And I do mm-hmm. encourage people to keep that in mind as well, because I've, I've helped people who they'll build their garden in some little back corner of their yard and they can expand it. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people to start small, get excited, decide if this is your passion or not. Like, is this mm-hmm. your thing that you want to hone in on and then expand after that? And so when we were ready to expand, we were going to double what we had. And it was too cost prohibitive to continue with the Mel's Mix method. And so right about that time, we discovered this fabulous documentary and uh, we incorporated that when we expanded our garden. And so a couple of key things that we did. One, we didn't build any more sides to our beds. We decided that instead of spending all that money on the infrastructure to keep our raised beds, to keep that good soil contained, we would just raise the whole garden. And so Mm -hmm. I want to point out that it only takes six inches of good soil to grow anything. Mm. And I'm talking anything. Another pearl of wisdom here. (laughs) Yeah. And so people think they need all this soil and you really don't. You really need six inches of good soil. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually cheaper to, so that the area that we were expanding was, was 36 feet by about 40 feet. And it was cheaper to just raise that whole area than it was to buy all the wood to build the beds and then fill the beds and then fill in the walkways in between. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we uh, we decided to, um, again, we didn't till. We had this great big patch of grass that we were going to turn into garden. And uh, my kids were helping me. And <clears throat> because we were going to till, we had to do something about the grass. So because we live in Texas... Uh, we do get to garden year round, which is a huge blessing. But the biggest burden we ever have to deal with is grass. We have this grass with these ridiculously deep 12 to 13 foot deep roots that is so wow. difficult to get rid of. And when we had built our original garden, we had all these beautiful raised beds, but we had this grass growing between them and it was constantly getting in the beds and it was so much work. 
I spent more time dealing with my walkways than I ever did weeding my beds or doing anything else in the garden. And it was wow. because of this grass. And so when we expanded the second time, we put down newspaper and then cardboard, and then we covered it with a third. Uh, and when I say a third, we went, we went up nine inches because we knew as the soil broke down, it would compact down to the six inches. So we did three inches of topsoil, three inches of compost and three inches of mulch. And mm. we started growing in that. And so I bet you're going to want to know the pros and cons of that method. I would love to know. Yeah. And also um, part of what I thought was really important when I looked at your book was a lot of people use cardboard, but the fact that you use the wet newspaper under yeah. the cardboard yeah. seems like this is a, you know, another like golden tip. Yeah. We call them light bulb moments at our house yeah. because it's, they're, they're really, they're so simple. And so I, I do want to touch on that real quick because this is something that's really pivotal. I mean, pivotal. So a lot of people think they just gonna, they're just going to put cardboard down because they, they're just thinking about smothering that grass or whatever's underneath the cardboard. And that's true. If you're dealing with Bermuda grass, like we have here in Texas, that Bermuda grass is just going to sit there and hibernate until that cardboard breaks down and then it's going to start growing again. So what's really key is, is we go out there with a weed eater and we get the grass as low to the ground as we possibly can. And then we put the newspaper on top of that and we get it soaking wet because when you do that, then the newspaper collapses and it adheres to the ground and you've taken out all those air pockets. So the, mm. the grass is going to suffocate. Then you put your cardboard on top of that. And really, that's just more, it's really protecting the newspaper from breaking down rather than smothering anything. And then on top of that, you put all your soil. And I'm telling you, that that key thing right there is probably the biggest takeaway I've learned uh, since we started. And we kind of learned it by accident because... <laughs> Somebody wasn't following instructions from my little crew of helpers and they did it like I thought it was supposed to be cardboard first. And we did that and somebody else did it. And, and when when we when we looked at it and when we analyzed it and we saw that the section they were doing like was handling the grass better, we realized like, like you're really on to something. And so, like I said, student of gardening, trial and error is everything that we do here. That's really funny. And now I have a very mundane question, but in this age of digital information, where do you get all this newspapers? Oh, uh, you know, it's actually a very beautiful thing. Uh, this gardening method is the best friend of the county recycle center. I mean, our mm. county, I can get everything I need to build my garden from the county recycle center. But if you don't have a, a county recycle center that takes newspaper, mm -hmm. um, then you can call newspapers and they often have unsold past issues that they're happy to unload. So wow. our, our county, okay. our town newspaper takes all the bundles of their old papers to the recycle center. So I can literally go there and just get stacks and stacks of pre-bundled newspaper. Um, people always ask me about the chemicals in the, in the newspaper mm -hmm. ink is from an organic approach. It is an accepted organic approach. And most chemicals, almost all chemicals now used in newspapers are soy-based and not chemical-based. And so they're still plant-based. So that's wonderful. Yeah. I, uh, did a garden once where we uh, were teaching classes for the community and we had this huge pallet of cardboard donated by Whole Foods at the time because they get all of their, mm -hmm. so this, if you don't have a county recycle center that has yeah. a lot of cardboard, you could think about a big box store yeah, or big. reach out to any grocery store, any, uh, any appliance store. Yes. Um, so it's, I think it's beautiful that we can take these things that, that are, you know, looking to be recycled and we can turn them into soil and guess what worms eat i mean everybody knows that worms are an indication of your soil health worms eat newspaper mm -hmm. and so by having the newspaper there to smother the grass you're also inviting all the worms feeding your worms that's yeah, wonderful yeah. now another thing that i thought was very critical was that you've gone through an evolution not just with your soil not just with your types of beds, but also with your fencing. Yeah. And for anywhere that's rural, especially mm -hmm. um, protecting against the predators becomes essential. So could you describe that a little bit and 
maybe just for the sake of time with the method that you ended up with and why? Yeah. yeah. So we, we started with uh, fast and cheap and um, we really paid for it in the end. Never use chicken wire to fence anything ever uh, is all I'll say about that. Um, in the end, we ended up building a, uh, a field wire fence that had two inch by three inch squares. It's poly coated. So it's hopefully not going to break down as fast because we really had a bad experience with chicken wire breaking down and rusting and causing having holes in it. And, um, mm -hmm. and we were really lucky. Anytime you, you have to stretch field wire, you have to build H braces and it can become a very complicated process. Um, I can drive a T post all day long. I cannot dig a four foot post hole in my clay soil. It would be a lot of work. And, and I do almost all of our gardening, me or my children. And so I, I wanted, to, I always wanted to develop methods that were um, female friendly because mm. in a, in a lot of times and places, it's the women doing this work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know a lot of people that got into homesteading and they're so frustrated because their husbands have other things that they're interested in doing and, and the garden is not one of them. And mm. so I, I'm very happy to have found something that I could do myself. And so we, we use T-Post and we found the system called the wedge lock system. And it's just these little clips that you can put on a T-Post and you can basically build an H-brace that way. And it's very easy to use. Uh, once we had the H-braces up, it was very easy. We, we just took two two-by-fours and clamped them together to make a fence stretcher. And I put a chain around it and hooked it to my van and pulled it. And we could tie off the fence to the T-post. And, and so we were able to build a really nice six-foot-tall fence uh, very easily, just my children and I. Do you already have a video on your website about your fence building? <laughs> We have the footage and we have the pictures. I just haven't put it all together yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's there's a lot of really great content um, for our, our uh, website that we don't have up yet, but mm. the fence building is one. Um, also our compost area, because like I said mm. before, compost is the key. Compost is the key to all of your garden success. And uh, we, we learned a lot about compost along the way. And so uh, we did have to go through last year and completely redesign and rebuild our compost area. And uh, so I'd really like to um, get those pictures together to encapsulate all that we've learned just on compost alone and, and the best ways to build it. Well, even the pictures in your book, I had compost bin envy when I was looking yeah. at your you photographs. You should see our new ones. <laughs> yeah, I I'm, I'm, can't yeah. wait to see those. Yeah. And one of the tips in your book that I liked about the fence posts was it's a whole lot easier to whack a fence post down deeper mm -hmm. than it is to pull it out if you hit it in too far at yeah, first. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny that you caught onto that. Uh, just trying to get them all the same height and stuff. I, I'm a, uh, I really like a clean garden. I like mm -hmm. things looking clean and, and looking neat. And so um, all of, all of those little things become important. You don't want to look out there and see a fence with T-Post going all over the place. Well, I imagine also if you're a land surveyor that you, um, I you do. Know, I have an affinity for straight lines and that's right. geometry. You're <laughs> that's a geometry right. person. So um, in 2019, you expanded your garden again. And yeah. this time it became 32 feet by 110 feet, yeah. I believe, which is, I did the math, 3,520 square feet, which is Very just good. under a tenth of an acre. Yeah. And I understand that you decided to use 100% country mulch that you had delivered from yeah. a local vendor. And there's a great picture of your kids standing on top of that um, load, that delivery of mulch. So can you explain about mulch and this question about whether mulch yeah. then needs to become composted mm -hmm. and how long that takes and how you do yeah. that? And you know, if you buy it and you set aside yeah. this bed somewhere with your on top of your wet newspaper and your cardboard with your mulch on top and then you just like leave it there for a year and water it or how does that work yeah okay so that's a lot to unpack you just have you have a lot of questions there and it's, yeah uh, sorry i i'm going to back up to our second expansion real quick and talk about the benefits and, and downsides to okay the the mix that we used of the compost topsoil and mulch okay so mulch is really great at water retention Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things I mentioned before about how it's all about returning those micronutrients and minerals to the soil. 
Mm-hmm. So trees have this wonderful ability, these deep tap roots to reach way down in the soil and pull up nutrients that we just can't access in the top layers of our soil. And most people's soils are very depleted. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard, like, if you compared an apple now to an apple like 100 years ago, it takes one apple from 100 years ago to equal 100 from nowadays. Wow. Because the mineral content is just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And that two to 400 pound average that people eat that's considering you're eating nutritious food. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're eating a bunch of vegetables that are nutritionally dead, you're going to have to double that. And so for us, it's always been about creating very nutrient dense food. Mm -hmm. And so we want the most nutrients in our soil when we're growing our crops. And so that second garden, we had the compost, which was feeding it. We had the mulch, which was going to break down into compost because the only difference between mulch and compost is six months. Oh wow. So mulch is going to become compost, but it's like a slow feeding. It's like a, it's like a time released vitamin, if you would. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, uh, the other part that we had was topsoil in that blend. And I don't know why we did that. We did that because we thought we needed to have soil. Um, I wouldn't do it again. I wouldn't hmm. buy soil because typically when you're buying topsoil, it's almost dead. Oh, okay. Like okay. it's already almost had most of its nutrients taken out of it. Wow. That's a so good, another good buying, tip. And yeah, I bet it's when, expensive. It is. Well, it's it's less expensive than compost for some reason. Oh, Typically, okay. just depending on where you are. We're close to um, several mushroom farms. And so mm. you can always get mushroom compost around here because when, when mushroom growers grow on uh, the strata that they use, they can only use it once. And then they have to mm-hmm. filter out and get new. So it's, it's actually really easy to get large amounts of compost around here. Mm. But uh, I wouldn't do that again. And so the third time we expanded our garden, I was doing a giant experiment. And so we went uh, at Mm. the time that we expanded, our garden was already about 30 by 60. So we expanded again to create that full 110 feet. It was like 30 by 40 or 50. I just Mm -hmm. can't remember the the rough numbers, but it was basically taking what we already had and totally doubling it. It was a large area. Mm -hmm. So Back right. up a second. When we did the first garden, mm-hmm. $750 for those four beds, $750 again to double it. Okay. That's a lot of money, $1,500. When we did the second garden, we were mm-hmm. able to do it for like $800. Okay. All the soil components that we bought. When we did the third garden, which was double everything that okay. we already had, we did $350 for the mulch that we used. And so our county, again, our county recycling wow. center has. So you yeah, doubled it and you, you doubled the size, but you halved the cost. Absolutely. Yeah. And so Sweet. our county has this fabulous uh, recycling program where the people in town, when they trim trees and stuff, the city will go around and pick it up and they'll take it to the county recycling center. And then the recycling center uh, grinds it into mulch. And so it's very easy mm-hmm. for us to get $5 a yard. They'll, they'll just fill up your pickup truck, $5 a yard all the mulch you want. And uh, Mm -hmm. what's really nice about that is that you're actually getting treats. So if you buy bagged mulch, you're probably getting chopped up pallets, chopped up furniture, chopped up who knows Mm. what that has all kinds of chemicals in it. And then they dye it all to be the same color. Yeah, formaldehyde especially. And then they Mm -hmm. dye it all to be the same color. You don't want any Mm -hmm. of that in your garden. And so if you're able to source uh, like direct from the source, like if you see the pile of tree branches and you see the mulch next to it, because you can see the chippers out there, or if you can get a tree company, a lot of places have tree trimming companies, any of the power line companies. If you can call them and say, Hey, come dump your loads at my house, then you could do this for free. Mm -hmm. That's a great tip. Another great tip. Pearl of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Get tree mulch, get it from somebody who's chipping it. That's right. And I do want to say, though, that the only downside, so benefits and, and drawbacks to this third system that we use, mm-hmm. where it was just straight 100% mulch, nine inches of mulch on newspaper and cardboard. That's it. Mm-hmm. We, we had all the mulch delivered. We rented a bobcat in literally two and a half hours. I did a farmer's market in the morning. We came home, spread that whole garden two and a half hours and went to a wedding that afternoon. So mm. and we just it was amazing how fast it went. The downside to it is that we couldn't plant in it for a year. Okay. Okay. And trust me, I tried because I just had all this soil. I just thought I had to put some seeds in it. And my husband, he said, you know, it's not going to work. And he was right Mm. because the difference between mulch and compost is time. And so we had to allow that mulch to break down. Uh, It took a year for it to break down. And a year after that, 
it literally grew exactly the same as the mill snips. It's production wise. It was, it's just beautiful, beautiful soil. And so, okay, good to know. And, and my sense is, and tell me if this is correct, that it also depends on how much water you have in the area because water is required to break down compost or mulch or anything. And so like where you live, it's a pretty moist area where I live. It's really dry. Yeah that you have to water your mulch also. Right. So there's different things that you could do to speed up that process. You could put alfalfa pellets on top. You want anything that has some source of nitrogen. If you had alfalfa hay, you could put that on top. You could put um, urine on top. Mm. You could put all sorts of things that have nitrogen in it that would help mm. speed up that okay. process if you wanted. Um, water, of course, helps speeds up that process as well. We get about 40 inches on average a year of rain where I'm at. But one of the things I want to point out about the mulch, it's so beautiful. So mm. mulch has this amazing ability to retain water. And mm-hmm. I have this great factual data about that. So I have a neighbor behind me who had a garden half the size as me. And I was talking to her once and she was telling me that her her water bill was like ridiculously high, hundreds of dollars. And I was just shocked. And I said, what are you doing to have such a high water bill? There's two of them. And she said, I'm watering my tomatoes. And I know people all around me that water twice a day in the summertime to keep their Mm -hmm. gardens alive. And at that same time, I'm watering once a week. And with a family of eight, our water bill was like $100 a month at the same time period that hers was like $600 a month. And it's because of the mulch-based gardening. It's because that mulch naturally has this great ability. If it's too wet, it's going to hold onto the water. If it's too dry, it's going to hold onto the water. It's just amazing. I can't explain it. I can just tell you, I vouch for it. It is a hundred percent work. So with the um, the garden that you have now that started mm-hmm. with the mulch that stood for a year, that's mm-hmm. the one that's been the most water efficient, it sounds like. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you, you water that Mel's mix and, and there's the components in it that hold water, the peat moss and the vermiculite, you know, mm-hmm. that really helped it. And and then our middle garden is probably the worst at retaining water because it, mm. it didn't have as much mulch. And I've amended it over the years. I, I do add compost and mulch to my garden every year. Mm-hmm. So you top dress since you're a no-till garden. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And I do That's real quick about the no-till thing. I just want everybody to understand this because I have a lot of uh, difficulty getting people to understand why we don't till. If you look at a community, a town that's taken hundreds of years to build, Right. And if you thought about a tornado coming through that town and destroying everything overnight, that's what tilling is like Mm -hmm. underneath the soil. We have this whole world, all these microorganisms and they have air pockets and they have interconnections. And you've got fungicides, fungi, fungal myzomes, all kinds of things that are interconnected and talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And when you come through with the tiller, you you wipe all that out and the whole system has to start building all over again. And so sometimes I'll, I'll talk to people who are like, they want to know what they could do different in their garden. I just tell them the first thing to do is just stop to it. Mm-hmm. Right. It would be like if you had a forest and you went through and just ripped up all the tree roots and then expect yeah. the trees to survive. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and they actually feed each other too. They pass Absolutely. nutrients they, back and forth through do. the roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the same thing is true. coming out about that stuff now. Yeah. It's really, it is really incredible. So. Um, and I understand that now you have such a great yield that you actually sell at farmers markets, right? So you we have do. now like three thousand pounds a year, and for mm-hmm. your eight people in your family, you don't need yeah. that much. It's 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 a little bit more now that I have four teenagers; they're eating a lot more. But uh, but we eat about fifteen hundred pounds a year, a thousand to fifteen hundred pounds mm-hmm. a year ourselves, and then so we have half of what we have we're able to sell. To, mm-hmm. to other people and so it, it totally pays for our whole grocery bill you know the wow. things that we still have to buy the toilet paper and the milk i have two kids that work at a raw milk dairy and so um again like you don't have to do all the things you just have to know some of the other people that that do and so it sounds like your garden is actually paying for itself with the absolutely. extra yeah and then so some. amazing yeah. that's really amazing okay so um we've talked I want to just because we want to not take too much of your time and make this too long. But other than these pearls of wisdom that you have already shared, which I think are incredibly valuable and could save people at least a decade of trial and yeah. error. Yeah. Um, what I mean, if you if there were 
one thing or two things that you wish you had known right from the beginning? Is there anything else that we haven't stated that you wish yeah. you had known right from the beginning? Sure. One right from the beginning, I wish I don't, I know when you move to a new piece of property and you're going to homestead, you've got all these things that you have to do. And I tell people, number one, start your garden. Don't, mm -hmm. don't even worry about fencing it. Go out there with your cardboard and your newspaper and your mulch and just put it down and then let it sit for a year while you go take care of all these other projects, because that's going to be the cheapest, easiest way to start a great garden with this fabulous soil. And so use time to your advantage in that situation. And I wish that I had known that because I would have done things differently. Uh, it's also very important, your order of operations. And mm -hmm. so if you don't put the newspaper and cardboard down first and you put your nine inches of soil on top of it, that's going to break down and become six. You, you've just really made a lot of work for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I know people that have done this. Like they, they didn't follow the order of operations that we really try to stress in the book. And they just created way more work for ourselves, for themselves. And the reason we put all that stuff in that book was because we did things wrong ourselves. And then we had to go back and fix it. And it's a lot more work to fix it rather than to do it in the right order. Right. And, and so the, it sounds like, and I'm, I'm soaking this all up because I'm, we're going to be starting a new homestead mm -hmm. um, in the next six months. And I'm already thinking, well, do we truck in the soil? Do we this? Do we that? And so I'm thinking that, okay, we can do two things in parallel. We can yeah. start a, a big garden with the mulch and let it sit for when mm -hmm. we can get to a larger garden the subsequent year and start mm -hmm. a smaller garden with a yeah. current mix and, you know, use that as like a pilot project to work yeah. out our systems and then yeah. make it larger the next year with our mulched. That's Garden. Beautiful. And then in the future, you can use those beds for herbs. I, I really mm -hmm. like keeping the herbs out of the garden because a lot of those are, are um, they, they stay there all year long. Mm -hmm. And so it's really better to have those separate. So in that, in that case, I would use that now for vegetables, use it later for herbs. That's and so great. Um, having a good plan is really important, mm -hmm. but don't, don't spend so much time planning that you never get out and start planting. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I would really encourage people is to keep a journal. And so the only reason we were able to ever write the book is because I had spent 15 years keeping a journal of everything I've ever done. And this is like, I keep all my notes in here. Every, literally every time I go out there, I've got maps and sketches and calendars and, and all sorts of things. And that's how you improve in your, your method from year to year, because gardening is very geographical. And so what works for me, like my calendar and my varieties that work well for me here may not work as well for you where you're at, but you'll have to develop that knowledge yourself. And the only way that you can harvest so much from such a small amount of space is to be very intentional. So I'm mm -hmm. always looking at the, the calendar. I'm always just doing a little bit consistently along the way so that my garden's always fully planted and fully maximized, maximizing its yield. Mm -hmm. That's great. And um, it reminds me that my stepfather was a food scientist at, at Cornell. That was his, oh. his work. And so... I saw him for years in, in the home garden that he uh -huh. had with my mother. He would document everything. Yeah. His notebooks were a thing of beauty, his yeah. garden notebooks. Yeah. So. And it's really important information. And, and just so you know, like the things that are really important are dates. Mm. When you plant something and when you harvest something and how much you harvest. Uh, if you realize that you're only harvesting a half a pound of peas every year, and I'll mm. tell you, peas are the lo lowest producing plant there is. Mm -hmm. If you if you're not getting a, a huge yield, we won't grow it again. We're right. a high production garden. I need a lot of vegetables to feed a lot of people, and that's what I'm concerned about. I don't do uh, crazy goofy niche things. I do what everybody eats, and. Uh, if you if you pay attention to those times that you're planting and harvesting, then you'll know when that bed's going to become available to put something else in. And Great. so that's what I'm talking about, that intention, intentionalness. That you always you just have to constantly be thinking about what can I do next in the garden? It's I, I meet a lot of people who they, they build it and then they, they think they're done. And they walk away. And like having a garden is kind of like having kids. Like it's it's just a continual investment of your mm -hmm. time and energy and thought process to, to reap all these beautiful benefits that we're so thankful for. Right. And if you don't track it, like I remember there was one year that I planted some kind of an Asian 
green that was fantastic it was like it yeah. produced all summer it was pest resistant it was delicious you know it kept reseeding into the fall and and then I hadn't kept the seed packet oh, no, of Kevin. what it was. And yeah. I've never known what it was. I was like, I'm, you know, so for years I've been like, oh, if I could just figure out what that thing was that I yeah. planted. So don't be like me, write it down. Yeah. Um, so in closing, what would you say to someone who wants to grow some or maybe eventually all of their own food, but they feel overwhelmed or they feel daunted by getting started? What would you say to them? I always tell people to start small. Because if, if you start too, too much, again, it's like having children. Nobody starts out with six children, right? You have one child and you decide like, I can do this. And, and you, you slowly add to it because your heart grows. And that's how it is with gardening too. Start small, decide if you're going to love it or not. And I'm telling you, there is no better feeling than that salad you make with your own lettuce and your own tomato. I remember the joy we would have if we had a meal where we produced all parts of it. Like this was a once a year, like it was just a huge occasion. And now it's so we, I mean, everything we eat comes from our property and we don't even mm. think about it anymore. And we, we eat like Kings. I tell you, farmers, farmers, what they lack in income from what they're doing because make growing vegetables is not a huge money-making endeavor, but you get to eat like a King. You mm -hmm. couldn't, I mean, uh, the, per the people that shop at the farmer's market couldn't buy all the vegetables enough to, to supplement their whole diet. You know, they're, they're buying things to have for a couple of meals, but nobody goes to the farmer's market and buys a hundred percent of their vegetables for the mm -hmm. week. You couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. And so the people that take the time to do this, if you'll take the time to, to start small and then just gradually in increase your knowledge and increase what you're working on, you'll love it. And, and it will not feel overwhelming. It will feel exciting and uh, achievable. And in the end, you'll have so much that you're, you're thankful for. And delicious as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. And your health is going to benefit and your physical is going to benefit. I remember when I got into gardening and I read that it was great exercise. And I remember thinking like, how hard could it be to poke some seeds in the ground? And let me tell mm. you, it is, a, it is amazing. It is amazing exercise. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Brianne. This has been very inspiring and very informative. And I learned yeah. a lot that's personally useful for me. Um, so I, I appreciate your generosity in sharing all of your experience. And um, hopefully we'll be talking more again soon. I look forward to getting this out to our viewers and listeners. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.